All right, cool, cool, cool. All right, do you guys remember, uh, anybody but Garrett remember the first story that we talked about in the week one of King Jesus? Nope, that's week two. Anybody remember the first story? Oh, yeah, of, of King Jesus? What about him? How he rode in on, yes, a baby donkey. He probably, Jesus probably weighed more than the donkey. Think about that. Like everyone was like, our king is coming. And then they see Jesus like turn a corner and his feet are just dragging on his little donkey. Like, like, oh, that's the king. Okay. No, but for real, we started off this series talking about the Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday that happened before Easter. And this is the, the, the story where we got the name for this series King Jesus. In that moment, think about all that's going through Jesus' heart and mind and soul in that moment. In that moment, this is just days before the resurrection and, or the death and resurrection of Jesus. He comes in and he is declaring to everybody that he is the king. He's the, fulfilling that prophecy. But he wasn't just fulfilling the prophecy of becoming a political king of the nation Israel, but he was saying in that moment, I am the king of the universe. And th- whenever he's fulfilling those promises, we talked about how the promises that God gave to Adam and Eve, and then to David, and then Noah, and Abraham, and Moses, Jesus wasn't just fulfilling all those promises and covenants that God made to each of those individual people that God gave to David, that he gave to Moses. He was, in a sense, fulfilling the very first a mission that God gave to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and that was to rule over the earth as kings and queens. Remember when we started that Genesis chapter one story? Jesus or God gives Adam the the call. He says, "You are to rule and subdue over the earth." And then he also says to be priest, to represent God to the world. It was a kingly and a priestly role. That's the original thing. If I can just get everyone to kind of pay attention in this direction, unless you want to preach. I know you do, Gary. Okay. God gave Adam and Eve the very first call. It was to be a priest and a king. And so the fall, it meant more than sin entering the world. Whenever Eve ate the apple in the garden, it meant more than that sin was in the world, and now we experience death from God. Now it meant that everyone had failed their God-given task to rule with God and to represent God to the world. Everyone failed after that until Jesus. And so whenever Jesus came, he brought a new way of life. He brought the kingdom of God. He brought the way of life in God, the way that it should be. His death secured it. The very first thing that Jesus preached, he says the king, or repent, the kingdom of God is now here. The way of life, the way that God originally attended, everything you've been looking forward to is now here. And then whenever he died and rose again, everything he preached now became secure. The kingdom of God was here. And so the good news, the gospel, it is more, let's think about a really high view, the the gospel, the good news that we all believe and that we are told to preach, it's more than the fact that our sins are now forgiven. It's more than that we are now forgiven in God's eyes. 
It's more than that we get to go to heaven whenever we die. All those things are good and all those things are true, but that is not just the gospel. The good news, the gospel, is that Jesus perfectly filled the role that humans were supposed to fill in the very first place. Remember, as king and queens and as high priest, and in doing so, Jesus brings the kingdom of God and he brings eternal life. Those two things are going to be important for later. Jesus brings the kingdom of God and he brings abundant life. And that's important because every single problem in human history stems from two problems. Think about that. Hold on, go back to that. You're ruining my moment. Go back. There you go. Every problem that we see in the world, every problem of anxiety, the problem of depression, the problem that causes people to be selfish or evil, the problem that causes you maybe to withdraw or to isolate, the problem that causes somebody to want to commit murder or to commit self-harm, and everything in between, it comes from two problems. And then you can go through that up. The problem is the absence of God's kingdom and the absence of God's abundant life. Every problem that has been in human history, every problem that we face and feel today comes from those two things. And it'd be a whole sermon series explaining why all that is true. But trust me on that. So if that's true, if every problem comes from the absence of God's presence and the absence of God's abundant life, if that's true, then the solution to that problem, it needs to be more than God forgives you. Go and be a good person. And then whenever you die, you get to go to an endless vacation in the sky. If, the pro- if it's true that the problem is the absence of God's presence and, and the absence of God's abundant life, then the solution has to be more than just raise your hand and, and come and get free pizza. And then whenever you die one day, you're just going to have an endless vacation forever in the clouds and the sky doing whatever you want. The solution, it has to be more than that. If that's the problem, if every problem in the world comes from the absence of the kingdom of God and abundant life, then the answer to life's greatest needs is, ha- or is God's presence in God's abundant life. If the problem is the absence of those two things, then the answer has to be those two things. And whenever we enter into God's kingdom and we get to live in his abundant life, it produces in us a new way of life where we begin to desire those things. It's like I said before, eternal life, an abundant life, it's not just eternal in length. Remember that endless vacation in the sky. It's not just forever long. Eternal is another word for abundant, and and it means like it's an abundant life right now. We get to live and experience the life that God has for us now when we enter into his kingdom. And that's what Jesus brought when he came. That's why understanding the gospel is so important. So just to summarize, God's solution to all of humanity's problems was sending Jesus to live the perfect, sinless life, bringing the kingdom of God and bringing his way to abundant life. So that's how the gospel answers every problem that we face. It's not just for Christians. The gospel is good news for every single human who chooses to believe. So that's first problem, first solution. But there's another problem. If the solution to the first problem is God sent Jesus 
then there's another problem, and the other problem is that not everybody knows Jesus. Not everybody knows who Jesus is. Not everybody is living in the kingdom and is experiencing that abundant life. We are created for God's kingdom. We are created to live the life that God intended for us. And so if we're not living in that, then we're looking for the solution in all the wrong places. We're looking for it in drugs or alcohol. We're looking for it in pornography. We're looking for it in relationships that are never going to last. The world needs Jesus, but not everybody knows Jesus. And some of us who do know Jesus, we might not know him the way that we should. So what's God's solution to that? That's what the story tonight's about. Turn with me to Mark chapter 16, verse 14 through 20. It says, later, remember the, the story, like Jesus, he, he dies, that was sad. He rises from the dead, that's happy. And then everyone's confused, and the disciples last week, they're caught fishing, and Jesus is like, hey, just throw the net, you can catch it. Um, Jesus is like, all this kind of stuff, like, hey, look at me, I'm, I'm Jesus. And now, this is later. It says, later, he appeared to the 11, remember, because Judas, he, he did some bad things, so now there's 11 of them. Later, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had risen. And then he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And all these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes. And if they should drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will get well. And so the Lord Jesus, after speaking to them, he was taken up into heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by accompanying signs. So all this happened about 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead. So there's a 40-day span between Easter and when Jesus gets taken up. He didn't immediately go to heaven. Uh, he walked on earth for 40 days in his physical resurrected body. And in Paul, he says in 1 Corinthians that Jesus appeared to up to 500 people. So he wasn't just with the 11 disciples after this. He was going around appearing to a lot of different people, calling them to be part of what he was doing. But remember how the story of the disciples, they went from being depressed whenever they denied Jesus. They saw him get arrested. They saw him get killed. And from being depressed and discouraged to being confused that Sunday morning when they went to the empty tomb and it was empty, like, where's Jesus? And then they went from being confused to being happy, like, Jesus, you're alive. Like, that's, that's amazing. And then to being confused again when Jesus leaves them and like, what do we do now? I guess we'll just go fishing they might not have felt purpose. They might not have felt uh, meaning in that moment of like, what do we do? We just gave our whole life to follow Jesus. Now we don't know what to do. And so this encounter that we just read about this is the very last encounter that Jesus had with the disciples before he gets taken up into heaven. And the first thing that Jesus says to the disciples, though, it, it, it's a rebuke. He gets on them for not believing Whenever people said, I saw Jesus rise from the dead. And so the first thing that Jesus does, he gets on them uh, for not believing when people said Jesus is who he is. The first thing I want to say is that not believing, to not believe in Jesus 
is not a good option. To not believe who Jesus is, that's not a good option. God says that unbelief is hardness of heart. But Jesus gives us something real to believe in, and he gives us something real to trust in. Something real to believe in, something to trust in. The world will always try to offer you something real, something to believe in, something to trust in. But we all know that it never really helps. There's nothing in this world that could truly satisfy, but there's also nothing that we can truly trust in. Because the Bible promises that everything in this world, it will one day go away. It will all fade away. Everything is going to be shaken. Everything is going to fall apart. Everything is going to go away in this world. There's nothing real here that we can truly put our trust in. Trying to trust in things in this world, think about it, it's like trying to stand on ice on a pond and the sun's coming out. Like it's not going to be long before the ice melts and you're, you are sinking. The things in this world are going to fall away. And if you try to put your trust in it, you're going to find yourself sinking. But Jesus gives us something real to believe in. He gives us something real to trust in. But Jesus doesn't stay in that rebuke for long. He then addresses, he addresses their doubt, but he addresses their confusion. And then he talks to them about their purposelessness that they were feeling. And he invites them to join in the mission of God. The mission is to be a part of the solution to the problem that the world faces. Remember, the problem the world faces, everything stems from the absence of God's kingdom in the absence of God's presence. So think about that. Like, we all want to make a difference in this world. Every time I do any kind of study about your generation, my generation, even some of the older generations, every single one of us, we want to make a difference in the world. We all want meaning and purpose. Have you guys ever, like, been given a task and you're like, I don't know why I'm doing this, anybody? And you're feeling like, why am I doing this? Like, you don't have any kind of urgency to do it. You don't have any, like, any motivation, anything to make you want to do it. We all want meaning and purpose. We want to know that what we're doing is for a reason. We want to know that what we're doing is important and is for a cause. We all want our life to matter. And so if everything that we do for this world is going to fade away, lots of money, it's going to be gone. Houses, nice things. If everything in this world is going to fade away, then what is the real meaning and purpose behind trying to get all of those things? Think about that. Everything in this world is going to fade away. So what's the true meaning and purpose behind trying to get all those things? But the mission that God is inviting us to be a part of is real. It's true purpose. Because whenever you come alongside God and you partner with him in the mission that he is already doing, then you will begin to see life change. You will begin to see literally people's lives become changed. You'll see fruit. Whenever you start telling people about Jesus, you can see people change. You can see their anxiety turn into peace. You can see the loneliness and oppression. You can see that turn into joy when you go along with God. But more importantly than that, when you go along with the mission of God, you will impact generations to come. Whenever you lead somebody to Jesus, they come and follow him, then you're not just changing their life in that moment. 
but you're changing their kids' lives and then their kids' lives. You're changing generations. But more importantly than that, you are changing eternity. It is a change and it is an impact that will not just last for their life, not just last for their generations, but for their soul in eternity. Because remember, the main problem that everyone, that every other problem comes from is the absence of God's kingdom, his way of life, and the absence of God's abundant life. The problem is the absence of Jesus. So God's solution was to send Jesus to bring the kingdom of God, to bring his way of life, and to bring God's abundant and eternal life. But people might not know Jesus. They might not be living in the kingdom of God. They might not be experiencing that abundant life. So what is God's solution to that problem of not knowing Jesus? It's us. Yeah, it's you. It's me. It's us. It's, it's Christian. It's those who know. It's those who are living in the kingdom of God. It's those who are living in the abundant life. God is inviting you to be a part of the solution that the world needs. God is calling you to make a difference in the world, that to, to make a difference that will impact generations in eternity. And so in order to address the disciples' purposelessness they were feeling, he says in Mark chapter 16, he says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And then everybody who believes, they will be saved. Everyone who believes will be baptized. But everyone who does not believe will be condemned. Jesus is telling the disciples in that moment that everything that we've been doing for these last three years, this is the purpose and the meaning behind it. If I can just get you two to wake up. I don't think you guys are really sleeping, so if you can just look at me. There we go. I, I can walk back there and preach. That'd be fun. <laughs> but Jesus, is in that moment, remember, the disciples, they left everything to follow Jesus. They left their family, their, their jobs. And Jesus is saying that this is the reason why. This is what following me is for. Spending time with me, following me, learning from me, becoming like me, living my lifestyle. The reason and the purpose you guys have given your life to follow me, it is to preach the good news that the kingdom of God is finally here and God's abundant life is here. That's why Jesus is saying this to us tonight. He says that's why it's so important for you to spend time with me. That's why it's so important that you begin to become more like me so that you can do the things that I did and tell the world that the kingdom of God is here. Some of you guys have probably heard Matthew's version. There's four different gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark and Matthew have um, different takes. Matthew, he says in, in chapter 28, it's the same story, same thing, but he just has a little different take on it. He says, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And whenever they saw him, they worshiped him, and then some doubted. So, but Jesus, he came near to him. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Let's pause right there. Remember, before Jesus died and rose again, like Jesus, in their mind, was just a human. But Jesus is telling them, he's like, no, like I told you I was going to die and rise again, and then I did, I rose again. And now he's telling them, all authority 
in heaven and on earth has he been given to me? Like, it's not just the authority of being, like, the governor of that region or being the king of that country or whatever. He says all authority in all of the earth, in all of heaven, all authority that God had when he created the world, everything has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. We can't teach anybody that Jesus has commanded us unless we spend time learning from Jesus. It says, and remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So the call in Mark, he says, go and preach the gospel to all creation. In Matthew, he says, go and make disciples. Making disciples, that's more than just preaching a sermon or or leading a small group. Uh, So I'm sorry to burst some of your bubbles because some of you guys might be thinking like you get a pass because God hasn't called you to be a pastor. Like this is this call, that's just for the pastors. That's just for those who God has put a call in their life. It's not just about preaching. It's not just about leading or smoking or talking in front of people. I, I, I get that we don't want to stand up in front of people and talk, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying every single one of you now need to go get on a stage somewhere and publicly speak to people. That's not all of our giftings. But to go and make the disciples, it's not just to preach a sermon or to explain the gospel to one of your friends at school or a family member and like, this is how I'm going to make disciples. Like, here's everything you need to know. Here's the cheat sheet. Moving on to the next person. That's not what it's about either. And it's also not just to invite them to church so that they can become a part of this awesome youth group. Right, anybody? Awesome youth group here? Yes, that's not making disciples either. Like inviting somebody to come to church to be a part of what we're doing here, that's not making disciples. To make a disciple, to do what Jesus is telling us here, to go and make disciples of all nations, it's to explain and live out that following Jesus is going to cost more than they could ever imagine it's going to cost. But in the end, it's going to be worth it more than they ever thought possible. Following Jesus, it's not just the cool, trendy thing to do. It might be in, in, in our country, it might be in Oklahoma, it might be especially in Quita. Everybody is going to church. Everybody is a Christian. Sometimes it's the cool thing to do. But it's not going to be easy even here. Saying no to your flesh, saying no to the thing you want to do, trying not to think bad about that person. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is hard, not letting bitterness, not letting anything creep up inside of us, but truly forgiving from our heart. That's not easy. Following Jesus, becoming a disciple is one of the hardest things we can do because it is not natural inside of us. But it is going to be the most worth it thing you have ever done with your life in the end. This is the way that Matthew, he talks about it, or Jesus talks about it in a couple chapters earlier in Matthew 16. Jesus said to his disciples, says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You guys remember, it wasn't that long ago, we watched the Passion of the Christ scene. Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, take up your cross. He says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Not just raise your hand, not just go along with the crowd, not just 
come to church, but deny yourself. Follow me. Take up your cross and then follow me. When Jesus was saying that, he was saying like literally, I'm here right now with you. And like whenever he was saying this in real life, now leave everything in your life behind and literally take steps and follow after me. Jesus isn't here right now saying that to us, but he is saying, like, leave your old life behind and follow me. And then he says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever wants to fit in, whoever wants to, to not go along, you'll lose it. But whoever, wants, whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what benefits someone if he gains the whole world and loses his life? Jesus says, preach the gospel to all creation. Go and make disciples. And to do that, to make disciples, first and foremost for us, it is to live a life that is in complete surrender to Jesus. It is to be a light in the darkness. You guys don't need me to tell you that it's dark in our world. But to be a, a disciple, to surrender your life to him, it's to be a light in the darkness. It's to live in rebellion to the rebellion that's in the world. Think about that. Like the world is living in rebellion against God. They're not going along with his ways. They're not living according to the ways that God has set out for us to live. So he is calling us to live in rebellion against that. To look so different from the world around us. To live in a way that is so different that people from your school, people in your family, your friends who have known your whole life, to be a disciple is to live so differently that they look at you and they ask you, what happened to you? What happened to your life? Like you used to be one way and now you're not. What changed? What happened? Like you used to tell us these bad jokes. You used to listen to this music that we did. You used to send us all these really bad TikToks. Like what happened to you? you you've changed and I, I just want to know why or, or at least what happened. You used to be angry all the time. Your jealousy used to be so bad. What happened? And that's whenever we say Jesus happened. Jesus, he, he changed my life. He, he forgave me. He called me. Jesus loved me enough to die for me, to die in my place, even while I chose not to follow him. Even at that moment, he still loved me enough to die for me. He gave me grace I didn't deserve. And now the only logical thing I can do with my life is to surrender my whole life to him because he saved me and he is the Lord of my life. Surrendering your life to Jesus where he is truly the master of your life and you consider yourself a slave to Jesus, that is really hard. It's not natural. That's why whenever we say becoming a disciple, it's the, one of the hardest things that we will ever do. But it is the most worth it thing you'll do in the end. It's not natural. Everything you see will be trying to get your attention to distract you from following Jesus. The world is going to try to press you into its mold. Think about your flesh, your sinful nature is still going to try to get your attention. And then there's an enemy. He's going to whisper lies into your head. He's going to be saying, like, you're not good enough. Just, just do that sin one more time. And then whenever you fall for that temptation, you do that sin one more time, it's going to make you think, like, see, you're, I, you were never worthy enough in the first place. 
you were never really a Christian. Like, you were never meant to get this grace. That's not what it's all about. You don't truly need to live the way of Jesus. Discipleship will cost you more and be harder than you can imagine. But discipleship also doesn't end when you choose to follow Jesus. That's just the beginning. Because now you are a new creation. Phyllis, we're going to come up. The Bible says that when you give your life to Jesus, you are a new creation. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, I'm not going to say it's my favorite verse because I'm past that now. They're all my favorite. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Paul, he is going to explain verse by verse at a time what it means to, that you're changed, what you do because of it, and then why. He says, you are now a new creation. Or if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and now the new has come. When you give your life to Jesus, the old life is gone. And he says, put on this new life. The new life is now here. The old life is gone in Jesus. And then he says in verse 18, he says, everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So he says, in Christ, you are brand new. The old you is gone. And now you are a new creation. And he says, this is not because of you. Go back to that verse in 18. He says, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself. That word, I literally looked up that word reconciliation because I was like, what does this mean? And I'm so glad I did because the original Greek translation, it's a reestablishment of an interruption of a broken relationship. The relationship between humans and God was broken because of sin. Reconciliation was Jesus dying in our place so that we can now have that peace with God. And he says, this has been given to you freely. Jesus reconciled you to God. Now you can live in the kingdom. You can have that abundant life. And now he's also given you the ministry of reconciliation. He's given you purpose. He's given you meaning. He says, now Jesus reconciled you to God, and now your purpose is to reconcile others to God. And then he says in the next verse, or next couple of verses, he says, that means, I can't, let me summarize that for you, that means that in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or sins, in other words, against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation, basically the gospel to us, it says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. And so we plead on God, or Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent God in the world now. And now our task is to literally plead for Christ and say, come to Christ, get reconciled. If you just knew the life change. If you just knew the hope and the peace and the joy that was found in following Jesus, he says you plead with Christ. But you might be thinking, like, what do I say? If someone says, what happened to your life? What do I say? Like, what's the message I would tell them? Paul, he says in the very next one, he says he made him or made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a summary of the gospel. It's that Jesus, who never sinned, who was perfect, blameless, 
he became sin for us. He died in our place so that we who were sinful can now be righteous in God's sight. Our sin Jesus took, Jesus' righteousness he gave to us. So here's the practice I want to give you guys tonight. If the worship team, they're going to lead us in another song. And I, I want to give you guys a practice of, of something to do. You guys can go ahead and stand. The first thing I want you guys to know and to remember, surrender your life to Jesus. Whether you've been a Christian for a long time or tonight's your first night, surrender your life to Jesus. To be a disciple, it's harder than you think, but it is going to be worth it in the end when you surrender everything to him. That means surrendering your life. Surrender the opinions that you think people might think about you. Surrender your plans. Surrender your future. Wholeheartedly follow Jesus. That's what I'm pleading with you tonight. Don't leave any regrets. Don't leave anything bad. And then the second thing is live as an ambassador for Jesus. Let your life live a life that begs the question, what happened to you? And then plead with your friends to come and know Jesus. Live that out. Experience what true life feels like in Jesus by giving him everything. And then show that and say, you guys need to get in on this. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your life that you've given us. God, thank you for the ministry of reconciliation. God, I thank you for dying for us in our place, that you were perfect and sinless, but you became sin for us and died for us. Holy Spirit, come and help us to understand all these words that is said. God, I pray that you simplify it for their hearts. Speak it and let it be memorized in a way that they can take in and understand. Help us to surrender to you. Help us to live a life that begs the question. Help us to plead with others to come to know you in Jesus' name. Amen. Use this time as the worship man leads us to surrender your life to Jesus and say, if everything in the world, everything in creation is going to worship God, then so will I and I will worship God more.